My name is Rick Renner, and today I'm in the upper room in Jerusalem. This really is the room where Jesus served communion to his apostles. This room was first mentioned about the fourth century in historical documents. So people have been coming here to commemorate this spot for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. It really is a legendary place in the Christian faith. But Jesus served communion to his apostles in this place and even said to them, do this in remembrance of me. What in the world did Jesus mean when he said, do this? Was he giving a ritual to the church? Was Jesus giving a new religious tradition to the church? Is that what it meant when Jesus said, do this? Or do those words, do this in remembrance of me, have a secret meaning? I think so. And I think you'll be very surprised when you hear what it really meant. Jesus indeed was giving us a very strong command, much bigger than a religious ritual. It's going to be good today. So stay with me as I discuss communion. Stay tuned for a teaching you can trust, a message that will inspire, strengthen, and equip you with vital insights and understanding from the Word of God. Here is Rick. Welcome to today's program. I've been waiting for you, and not just me, but today, Sister Denise Renner is with us as well. Denise, welcome to the program. Hi, Rick. I'm glad to be on these programs, and I'm glad to hear this teaching. Denise, today we're going to see a gospel-by-gospel gospel comparison of communion. It is really going to be good, and I'm so glad that you've joined us for this teaching. And we're offering you the series called Insights on Communion. It's five parts. It comes in multiple formats. You need to know what the Bible says about communion. I told you in previous programs when I was growing up, and Denise, you said the same with you when you were growing up. We regularly took communion. Well, in my church, in your church, it was once a quarter. But we really didn't know why we took it. We took it faithfully, fearfully. We nearly trembled because we were supposed to do it. But I never knew why we were supposed to do it. We need to know why we take communion. If Jesus said, do this, why did he say, do this? So you need this series called Insights on Communion. It will really enrich your understanding of communion. And it comes with the study guide. The study guides maybe are my favorite part. Of course, I'm a writer. But these study guides are just filled with Greek words, all the points, all the principles. You should go to our website and just look at the study guide. What an array of study guides that are just filled with treasures. They would be great for Sunday school, Bible study, personal study, to disciple somebody else. Look at all those study guides. But with this series, you also get a wonderful study guide, which will really reinforce what you're seeing and what you're hearing. Also, right now, we're offering you Denise's book called Redeemed from Shame. Denise? This is a powerful book. It is powerful, Rick. And God did a powerful work in my life, and that book talks about it. Well, if you have ever dealt with an issue of shame for anything, you don't need to be ashamed because Jesus took your shame on the cross. You have been redeemed from shame. Praise the Lord. But order your copy today. This is a book that will set you free or somebody you know 
who's dealing with the issue of shame. And for those who become partners, as I always tell you, we send a package of books as our way of saying, welcome to the partner family. A partner is someone who regularly gives financially to help us take this teaching to somebody else. Proverbs 10, 21 says, the lips of the righteous feed many. That's our job. Our job is to feed many. And when you become a partner with us together, me and Denise, our ministry and you, together, we begin to feed people the Word of God. That's our God-given assignment. And when you become a partner, you become a part of the team. So we welcome you. And the moment you join as a partner, we'll send you a package of books. You can become a partner by calling or simply by going online. But today, Denise, we're going to continue studying communion. And here we have our bread. Mm -hmm. Here we have the goblet with juice. And day after tomorrow, we're going to actually share communion here on the program. So we want you to get your elements, get some bread, get some juice. And on Friday, get ready to share communion with me and Denise and everybody else in our TV family. But today, we're going to see a gospel by gospel comparison of communion. And we're going to begin in Matthew chapter 26. So you have your Bible? My Bible. I have my Bible and I have my notes. And today... We're going to cover a lot of material very fast, so we have to keep moving. But we're going to begin in Matthew chapter 26, verse 14. And I have to point out that in every gospel, when it begins to record the events of communion, it begins with Judas Iscariot. And this is very, very important, as you will see in tomorrow's teaching. So let's go to Matthew chapter 26, verse 14. And the Bible says, Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went unto the chief priests, verse 15, and said unto them, What will you give me, and I will deliver him unto you? By the way, that word deliver is the Greek word parodidomi, which means I'll hand him over to you. It is the act of betrayal. And they covenanted with him for 30 pieces of silver. Now, Denise, notice that word covenanted. It means before Judas Iscariot ever took communion with Jesus, he had already made a covenant with somebody else. So when he eventually sat at the table and took the bread and drank of the wine and pretended like he was entering into a covenant with Jesus, it really was a fake covenant because he had already made a covenant with someone else. And the Bible says they covenanted with him. That's very important for 30 pieces of silver. And from that time, he sought opportunity to betray him. Then jump down to verse 20. Now, when the evening was come, Jesus sat down with the 12, verse 21. And as they did eat, he said, verily, I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. This word betray, again, the Greek word paradidomi, which means to deliver or hand something over to someone or someone else. It describes the very act of betrayal, handing someone over to their enemies. Then in verse 25, then Judas, which betrayed him, answered and said, Master, is it I? And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast said. But I have to pause for a moment. This word master in Greek is the word rabbi, which is the Hebrew equivalent of the Greek word didaskalos. In both cases, it means masterful teacher, masterful teacher. Jesus in the four gospels, uh, Judas in the four gospels, not once. There is not one time recorded in the gospels that Judas ever called Jesus Lord. He always called him didaskalos, teacher, rabbi, masterful teacher. He recognized Jesus as a great teacher, but never called him Lord 
which means there was a flaw in his relationship with Jesus. He really was never submitted to Jesus' authority. He never called Jesus Lord. But then if you would look at verse 26, and as they were eating, Jesus took bread. Now you remember from the previous programs, these are some of the components of making a covenant. When a covenant was made, you would take bread and the bread represented a person's possessions, all that he had. And when you broke the bread and shared it with another person, it was the equivalent of saying, everything that I have is at your disposal. This was one of the components to make a covenant. Then you would take a goblet of wine or juice. Often it had a drip of blood that was mixed into it and they would drink of it. And when you partook of someone's blood, you were literally partaking of their life. But it's very important that the wine followed the bread. The bread was the promise. The bread was, I'll give you everything I have. Everything I have is at your disposal. And if required, I will give my blood to empower that promise. This was really a covenant. Jesus was cutting a covenant with his disciples. And of course, he really did when he hung on the cross. So when you come to this verse, Jesus now begins to make a covenant with his disciples. So let's read again verse 26. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and break it. Here's the making of a covenant and gave it to his disciples and said, take eat. This is my body. Well, according to the terms of a covenant in that moment, they were literally becoming flesh and blood with Jesus. Verse 27, and he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying, drink ye all of it. Again, another component of making a covenant. Verse 28, Jesus said, for this is my blood of the New Testament. This word testament in Greek is the word diatheke, which is the Greek word for a covenant made between two or more people. So now Jesus makes it very clear there's no guesswork about this. Jesus is making a covenant. It's really very unfortunate that it's been translated as the word testament because it really is the word covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Then you jump down to verse 30 and it says, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. But then when you come to chapter 27 and verse 3, the Bible tells us what happened to Judas Iscariot. And the Bible says, then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, when he saw that Jesus was condemned and Jesus had been judged, Judas repented himself. Well, he really didn't repent. This is not the word repentance. This is the Greek word which describes remorse. He was engulfed with remorse. He was sorry for what he did, but he didn't really repent. He just had remorse. There's a difference between repentance and remorse. Repentance produces good fruit. Repentance entraps you. It depresses you. And that is why verse 5 tells us he went out and hanged himself. This feigned covenant that he pretended to have with Jesus, sitting around the table, partaking of the bread, partaking of the wine, when the truth is he had already made a covenant with someone else. He partook of that wine. He partook of that bread unworthily. That's very important for what you're going to hear tomorrow. And the result was he died. He died. He broke the terms of the covenant. And remember, with every covenant, there were blessings 
and there was curses. If you kept the covenant, then you were entitled to all the blessings. But usually when someone broke a covenant, a curse of death was pronounced upon them. And that's exactly what happened to Judas Iscariot. Now let's go to the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 14, verse 10. And Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went unto the chief priest to betray him unto them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought how he might conveniently betray him. And the evening he cometh with the twelve. And as they sat and did eat, Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, one of you which eateth with me shall betray me. The word betray again, the Greek word paradidomi. One of you is going to hand me over. Verse 22. And as they did eat, Jesus took bread. So here again we have the components of a covenant. And he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body. You're literally entering into union with me. Then verse 23, and he took the cup. Of course, the cup represented his blood. And if you partake of another person's blood, you are literally partaking of their life. You're becoming their blood brother. And Jesus, when he had given thanks, gave it to them and they drank all of it. Verse 24, and he said unto them, this is my blood of the New Testament. The word testament again is the Greek word for a covenant. Jesus was making a covenant with them. And verse 26 says, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. Then we come to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 22, verse 3. Listen to what it says. Then Satan entered into Judas, surnamed Iscariot, being one of the twelve. Verse 4. And he went his way and communed with the chief priests and captains how he might betray him unto them, verse 5, and they were glad and what? Covenanted to give him money. He entered into a covenant with them. Verse 26, and he promised and sought opportunity to betray him unto them in the absence of the multitude. Then we're going to jump down to verse 14. And when the hour was come, Jesus sat down with the 12 apostles with him, verse 17. And he took the cup, again we have a component of a covenant. He took the cup and gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among yourselves. Then in verse 19, and he took bread and gave thanks and break it and gave unto them saying, this is my body which is given for you. And then Jesus states these powerful words, this do in remembrance of me. What did Jesus mean? when he said, this do. Well, in Greek, when you read this do, it means this very thing do. What I'm doing, I want you to do. It could be translated emphatically do this very thing. Furthermore, the word do is a translation of the Greek word poieo, which carries the idea of creativity. It means do this, do this very thing, find a way to do what I'm doing right now. And then Jesus says, do it in remembrance of me. The word remembrance really means to be mindful of what Jesus was doing, to recall it, to recollect it, to remember it. And so Jesus was telling us to take communion, to do it in remembrance of him. But wait, wait, wait. This do in Greek means what I'm doing, you do. Jesus was making a covenant. And now in these last moments, Jesus was literally saying to the disciples, what I'm doing for you, this do. Yes, he was giving them a ritual of communion, but he was also giving them a lifestyle. This do. Just like I'm entering in communion with you, I want you to enter into covenant with one another. I want you to be people of covenant. Walk in covenant with one another. This do. Do it in remembrance of me. 
Remember what I'm doing, and this is what I want you to do. I want you to be people of covenant. Now, that is very profound and important for you to understand when it comes to the issue of communion. Then we come to verse 20. Likewise also, the cup after supper, he took it saying, this is the New Testament. Again, it would be better translated, this is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. And amazingly, verse 24 tells us, and there was also a strife among them, which of them should be accounted the greatest. In this holy moment, they all got into the flesh. But then we go to the gospel of John and in John chapter 13, verse one, the Bible says now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come and that he should depart out of this world unto the father, having loved his own, which were in the world, he loved them unto the what, Denise? Death. Unto the end. Unto the end. Unto the end. In Greek, this is the word telos, which means to love someone fully, to love them completely. It really means Jesus loved them all the way to the end, but literally he loved them with the greatest fullness that they could have ever received. But then when you come down to verse two, it says, after supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son to betray him. So now we know Judas has betrayal in his heart. Now this is amazing. He has betrayal in his heart, but he's gonna sit at that table and take of that bread and drink of that wine, even though he does not have covenant in his heart, he had no right to even sit at the table. He shouldn't have even been there. He did not have covenant in his heart. This was an act. He was partaking of this unworthily. And the Bible tells us in verse four, Jesus arose from supper, laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. Verse five. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Do you know, Denise, Judas Iscariot was among those whose feet Jesus was washing. Now, just imagine he had betrayal in his heart. He was lying about his commitment. He was sitting there knowing he had already sold Jesus. And now Jesus is on the floor in front of him, washing his feet. This was the mercy of God extended to Judas, trying to melt his heart, giving him an opportunity to repent. But his heart was hardened and he did not repent. And in verse 18, Jesus said, he that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. One of you that has feigned to be in, commit, in covenant with me, in reality, you've lifted up your heel against me. And the Bible tells us in verse 21, and when Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, verily, verily, I say unto you that one of you, one of you sitting at this table, one of you who just partook of communion, one of you who just took the bread and just took the wine, you have said that you were in covenant with me, but the fact is one of you, in fact, are not really in covenant with me. One of you is going to betray me. Jump down to verse 27. After the sop, Satan entered into Judas. This word Satan, the Greek word Satanas, it really carries the idea of an accuser, an adversary. It carries the idea of conspiracy. Judas really had something in his heart against Jesus over the issue of money. You can read that earlier in John chapter 12. He really got offended with Jesus and now he has a whole issue in his heart, accusations against Jesus. And now he's going to act on those accusations. You know, bitterness is a terrible thing. It takes you bad places. And the Bible says Satan entered into him and 
Jesus said unto him, that thou doest, do quickly. Now this is remarkable to me. Look at the next verse. Verse 28. Now no man at the table knew for what intent Jesus said this unto him. Verse 29. For some of them thought, because Judas had the bag, that Jesus had said unto him, buy those things that we have need of against the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. This was Jesus' opportunity to expose Judas. But Jesus would not do that because Jesus doesn't expose anybody. Jesus didn't even expose his betrayer. Jesus covered him. Jesus gave him an opportunity to repent to the very, very end. Jesus was loving him to the end with a maximum love, but Judas rejected it. And that's why the next verse says, having then received the sup, immediately he went out and it was night. I love that verse, and it was night. He left the presence of the light of God, and Judas turned and went into the darkness. That is amazing. Then when all of this was finished, Jesus began teaching about the ministry of the Holy Spirit in John 14, 15, and 16. People don't realize it, but all of that happened in the upper room in the same event. And then John chapter 17 where Jesus prays his high priest prayer that is so powerful, that also occurred in the upper room. So in the upper room, Jesus washed their feet. Jesus made a covenant with them. Jesus dealt with Judas. They sang a song. There was strife between the brethren. Jesus taught on the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He prayed his great high priestly prayer. And finally, when you come to John chapter 18, verse 1, the Bible says, when Jesus had spoken these words, when he was finished, he went forth with his disciples over the brook Kidron, where there was a garden into the which he entered and his disciples. And that was the garden of Gethsemane. And that is when Jesus began to sweat drops of blood. Now, when you come to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, which is where we're going to go tomorrow, the Apostle Paul says in verse 23, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus the same night in which he was betrayed. Notice Paul also starts with the subject of betrayal. Verse 24, And when Jesus had given thanks, he took the bread and he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Verse 25, after the same manner also, he took the cup and when he had supped, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. And then we come to verse 27. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily, unworthily, shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. The example of someone who partakes of communion unworthily is Judas Iscariot. That is the context. Someone who acted like he was in commitment, someone who acted like he was in covenant, but in fact, he did not have covenant in his heart. He really had no right to that bread and he had no right to that cup. And therefore he partook of it unworthily and he became guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. You don't want that to happen to you, so you need to understand what all of this means, and that's what I'm going to talk to you about tomorrow. We'll be back in just a moment, and I'm going to pray for you. Many churches have communion once every quarter of the year, but what is it really all about? 
In Insights on Communion, Rick Renner delves into what communion meant in the ancient world and why Jesus commanded all Christians practice it. People all over the world and in every Christian denomination often take communion without really understanding what it means. In this five-part series, you'll learn what communion meant in the first century, what the symbolism of the bread and juice means, what the disciples understood when Jesus served them communion, what the spiritual and physical benefits of communion are for you today. Available in digital or physical formats, starting at just $10, Insights on Communion will teach you the significance of communion and how to activate its power in your life every time you take it. In addition to this teaching series, you can also purchase the book, Redeemed from Shame. If you've dealt with issues of shame, it's time for you to walk free of it forever. In this book by Denise Renner, you'll learn that Jesus took your shame on the cross and you don't need to live with it anymore. If you want to walk free from the prison of shame that you've been in for so long, the answer is waiting for you in Redeemed from Shame. This powerful book can be yours for just $7. Order today to discover how to have the victory that Jesus wants to give you over your past and over the shadow of shame that has tried to hover over your life. Don't miss this special offer, Insights on Communion and Redeemed from Shame. Call now or go to renner.org. Call or go online now. Friends, this is Rick Renner, and today I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you for helping us to victoriously finish phase one of our ministry expansion project, which was purchasing our Tulsa headquarters building and building the building for our new studio in Moscow. That studio is an anchor for the Word of God. And together we did it. We finished phase one. And then you faithfully stayed with us through phase two and you gave again to help us finish the interior of the studio. And I wanna say thank you so much. But now in front of us is phase three. You say, well, what is phase three? Phase three is paying off the Tulsa building. Now, right now, I'm in the interior of the Moscow Good News Church. It is quite an amazing place. When you walk through this building, it's so beautiful and it testifies to the grace of God and the provision of God and the giving of our church and of our partners. We built this facility debt-free and because of that, the Moscow Church has never had the burden of monthly payments. All of our funds have been released to do the work of the gospel. And now we need to do that in Tulsa and I call this phase three. And I'm asking you today to pray about joining us as part of the giving team for phase three, which is paying off the Tulsa facility. And the reason we want to pay it off is because then it will release funds for us to take the teaching of the Bible to the ends of the earth. And dear friend, right now, the Bible is so needed. And I know that that's my heart and that is your heart. And together, we can take the Bible to the ends of the earth. So please pray about joining us for phase three to finish paying off the Tulsa building. And I want to say thank you in advance. Thank you for being with me and Denise today. I want to remind you that day after tomorrow, we're going to have communion right here. Denise, isn't that going to be great? Rick, and I'm believing that people are going to be healed when we take communion. Oh, I'm believing God's going to release his power in people's lives. And in Friday's program, we're going to talk about the supernatural element in communion. It's going to be great. And then we're going to have communion. But hey, if you need prayer, please call us. We're here for you. Just call the number on the screen or send us an email. As soon as that phone rings or as soon as your email shows up in our inbox, our team is going to begin to pray for you. We really will. We want to hear from you. We're offering you the series, 
which is called Insights on Communion. Denise, hasn't this just been rich? Oh, Rick, I love this teaching. I love it. Well, you need this series. You need to hear it and hear it and hear it. Comes with a great study guide. The two of them together are just dynamite. And also Denise's book called Redeemed from Shame. This book will make a difference in your life. I believe that. But I want to pray for you. Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus for this wonderful time today as we have discussed the subject of communion and covenant. Lord, we thank you that you told us to do this and we can do it. You said, do this like I've done it for you. You're calling us to be people of commitment, people of covenant. And Lord, that's what we want to be. And we thank you for your help. In Jesus' name, amen. Remember Ecclesiastes 8.4, where the word of a king is, there is power. We'll see you tomorrow. <music>